From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Colin Donovan. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And we welcome you once again to Open Line Friday here on EWTN Radio. Glad to be with you on this beautiful Friday afternoon. At least it sure is beautiful here in Birmingham, Alabama, I can tell you that. Jack Williams not with us today. He will be back very soon to the show. I'm Tom Price, joined by our uh, Vice President for Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. How are you? Doing pretty good, Tommy. You're right. It's such a gorgeous day out there. Just awesome. We're starting to get into those springs that we're so familiar with here. Yes, indeed. Let me give you that phone number uh, because uh, things tend to move rather quickly on Friday afternoons here. It is 833-288-EWTN. If you have a theological question to ask of Colin Donovan, 833-288-3986. If you're listening outside of North America, please dial the U.S. country code and then 205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for our response and then text us your first name and your brief question. Message and data rates may apply. Let me give you that uh, open line at email. Dot, hmm, boy, oh boy. That email <laughs> address, openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. Be sure you put Friday in the subject line or Colin or theology so that we can uh, match those kind of things up. Colin, we want to lead off here with a very interesting uh, email from John who says, how can we charitably respond to folks who see the Bible as homophobic? As a cha- chaste gay male, I don't see it that way. Blessings, John. Yeah, like a, like a lot of things, you, you're you going to have trouble convincing of something when they have a big different, coming at it from a different perspective. For us, with uh, a love of God as creator Mm -hmm. and looking to see what he has revealed about that creation of which we are a part, we come to appreciate the distinction of male and female in a way that is different than in the world, where sadly we've seen the culture devolve to the point where the individuality and the particularities of the the individual Mm -hmm. are paramount uh, in making almost all judgments and so it's very difficult to overcome that mentality. It's a, it's a categorical difference in the way we look at the world. Yeah. I think all you can do is argue the point, and there are good, there are good scientific arguments. Um, there are good, I think, logical arguments uh, against that. We know that many factors go into the... Uh, attractions which a person have to another person, whether it's male-male friendship or Mm -hmm. whether it even goes beyond that, or in the case of women as well. And so, but we also know that the body tells us what the purpose of those faculties of attraction are, especially in the sexual domain. And that 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 has a clear and evident purpose, human reproduction. So whatever degree of friendship, and I think as a gay man probably familiar with the organization Courage, 
This gentleman has learned to understand that chastity can live regardless of whether one is attracted to men or women mm-hmm. as a male. One has to order and corral it within the moral law which mm-hmm. God gave us. And so that's an understanding that's hard to convince people because we are living in a world that is, frankly, uh, saturated with sexual imagery and messages encouraging the use of that faculty apart from its uh, the purpose of God, or even if you're uh, an evolutionary biologist, the purpose which biology shows yeah. that those uh, f- f- faculties of mm-hmm. the human being are, mm-hmm. are designed for. So I think you may can try to come at it from the natural argument. Uh, probably you'll have much more difficulty with the religious side of that. But it sounds like the individual also gives some authority to the Bible and just doesn't see in the Bible this claim. Sadly, there are theologians who flatter that viewpoint and say that when the Bible says that he created him male and female, they would say that, well, you know, Adam was some kind of androgynous creature and therefore all kinds of sexualities and genders are covered in that. Yikes. So there's a whole gay theology mm-hmm. that has been built up in the last 20 or 30 years. So that makes the burden much more difficult because they will cite their authorities mm-hmm. as to why they are right and you, the believer, in what the gospel says and what the Bible says is wrong. Certainly plenty to, plenty to pray about. Yes, it John, is. Uh, John, thank you so much for your email. Here's one from David in Kansas. A couple of years ago, I learned that as Catholics, we should be fasting every Friday of the year. Although the church says outside of Lent, you could choose a different form of penance other than meat uh, fasting on Fridays. This feels like it should be important for people to know, but most, most Catholics I've brought it up to had no idea what I was even talking about. I know of Catholic schools now that do every Friday, Meatless Friday, but they only started doing that within the last couple of years. Is this true? And if so, mm-hmm. why doesn't it seem to be known? I think there probably it's an area where the clergy can pay more attention. We, I think it's very easy to assume that people raised as Catholics have an understanding of, say, the, the discipline on 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 abstinence and fasting itself. Fasting for on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday mm-hmm. is, is where in the Latin church at least it is, it is today. And abstinence on all the other Fridays of the year outside of Lent, except where particular bishops' conferences like ours have obtained from Rome the recognition of norms which allow a substitution. And so you could substitute something that you else that you are giving up Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somebody who has a cocktail before dinner every night or something like that, or with their lunch and dinner, who knows? Uh, they could they could forego something like that or chocolate or some, something else. The idea is something that is meaningful to you and absolutely constitutes a penance for you to give that up. So that, that requires, I think, that people speak about this, that pastors remind people. We tend to get the reminders just before Lent, on the Sunday before Lent, when because of the nature of Lent and its particular laws, uh, and there is a reminder of the, of the abs- Friday abstinence, which is binding now during Lent. And I think uh, that's a bit of a mistake. I think you have to back up to the general rule, which the Church recognizes from the Gospel and from Scriptures generally, that penance is required for our salvation. If we do no penance, we will not be saved. 
because that means we've never tried to build up our moral will to resist sin, and we've probably given in to sin much more easily. Yeah, yeah. And penance builds us up. And so more speaking about penance is probably something, and the particular and rather easy way that the Church gives us to satisfy our obligation to do penance uh, as believers. Very good. Uh, David in Kansas, thanks for your email. Here's one from BH. I am a supervisor in an organization that has mandated the COVID-19 vaccine. If employees under my supervision requested a religious exemption that is denied, and I am asked to process or execute punitive actions, most likely leading to firing the person, should I process that action? What is my moral responsibility? Mm-hmm. That's a hard one because in the position of authority, you would seem to want to be uh, to be communicating something which is contrary to the moral law, yeah. and that is that they're an, an obligation. Now, the legal situation is still unclear because the courts have upheld some mandates and not others. Uh-huh. Uh, and so you, from the legal point of view, I think there's a difference morally between communicating a decision over which you have no control. And there is an advantage, I guess, in at least passing on what you've been told to pass on uh, as a supervisor, you know, and say that, you know, you sympathize with the individual, uh, but you don't have to, you don't make the rules. And this is a case where it is, you you know, you're communicating a decision that is outside your, your control. That's true in any organization that you work in. Uh, in this particular case, the person still has the moral freedom to say, no, uh, I don't believe that I should take this vaccine or this whatever the particular thing is. Uh, that's their freedom, even though it comes with a penalty. Uh, but that's true of a lot of things in life as well. We make choices which we know come with obligations, uh, crosses that we can't avoid, and we do that freely because we want to do the, what is right and best for us or for our family, as the case may be. But to be clear, yeah. the church has no objection to taking a vaccine for life-saving purposes. The element of freedom there that as an individual, that one has to be in charge of what therapeutic means uh, you, you yourself receive. So you could take it if you wish to, but to refuse it, of course, is a personal uh, judgment and decision of you. All right. BH, thanks so much for your email and for everybody who emailed us. In a moment, we'll be talking with James in Baton Rouge, Jack in Pensacola, Joshua in Texas, another line being screened, and two lines open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN for Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, glad you're with us for Open Line Friday here on EWTN. That phone number again, 833-288-EWTN. We have one line open, 833-288-3986. As you know, the season for confirmation coming very soon, 
Some areas, it's probably already here. You can remember the Confirmant in your life with a unique sterling silver confirmation medal. It features the image of a dove in flight with the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit written in the rays beneath the wings. And of course, those gifts of the Holy Spirit include fear of the Lord, piety, counsel, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, and fortitude. Now, it's beautiful. It's about three quarters of an inch, and a delicate 18-inch stainless steel chain is included. It's available right now at EWTNRC.com. Buy Catholic, shop Catholic, EWTNRC.com. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with James in Baton Rouge, listening on our great partner there, Catholic Community Radio. Hello, James. What's on your mind today, sir? Yes, just have a question. I was just wondering, does the Church take any position on the gifts which the Magi brought to the baby Jesus, uh, or was that a means by which the Father uh, would provide for his son? I think the Church accepts it uh, in the way that uh, is given in the Gospels, that these, and has given mystical interpretations to it, uh, and that is of divinity uh, in the in the case of the incense, because we incense is used in religious worship. Uh, scripture tells us it represents, in the book of Revelation, represents the rising of prayers up to God. Um, uh, obviously, gold, uh, a kingly gift, and myrrh for the humanity of Christ. So it uh, it takes that at, at face value uh, and, ta- and take it in such a way. So beyond that, uh-huh. um, you know, that that's the extent of it, and that's what you get. You get that from the readings on the Epiphany. You get that usually from the uh, Catechesis and the Mystagogia, the ongoing formation, speaking about the, you know, the meaning of the incarnation and the, and the nativity of our Lord, and so on. Um, and so that's all part of the tradition uh, in that partic- in that way. Very good. Appreciate your call. Thanks so much for it. That opens up a line for you right now at eight three three. 288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Open line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN Radio. Let's go to Jack now in Pensacola, listening on the great Guadalupe Radio. Hey, Jack, what's on your mind today? Hey, how you doing? I got three related questions. One, Jewish calendars face the year at 5,700 and something. What's their starting point? And how do they determine that and how many years are in a generation? Okay. Oh, so those are the three questions. I think so. That's the, what's the starting point in the years in a generation? Um, well, I don't know that they know any better than we do when the starting point was, but what they took that is based on some understanding or some guesstimates regarding the uh, length of time from uh, Adam down to their day, they made judgments regarding how long ago that was. So they take that as creation. So that's the starting point. Okay. That sort of answers number one and two. Uh, the years of a generation is generally taken to be 40, that if you're considering 40, 40 years uh, as a generation, that that's an average. It's interesting that uh, if you ever do any genetic genealogy or anything like that, it comes out in that 30, 40 year range if you go from, you know, mm. father to first son or, uh-huh. or to the end of the, the time frame and that. So uh, that's, that's a reasonable human standard as well as I think the standard that scripture scholars 
uh, typically use. There you go. Jack, thanks so much uh, for your call. Going now to Joshua in Texas, listening online, EWTN.com. Hello, Joshua. What's on your mind today? Uh, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to d- discern as a possible career change, but uh, uh, I guess to sum it up, uh, I'm trying to understand my moral uh, responsibility. Uh, so I, I, I work in a a uh, role where with a recruiting role currently we're hire lots of uh, construction type workers and uh, been approached by another organization that helps place more upper level influential uh, members that have that could possibly uh, to, for large corporations that could have a significant impact on uh, the, the the direction of, of the values and the of uh, large corporations, right? So, mm-hmm. and uh, so, my question is, uh, and maybe I should just ask them straight up when I if I have the next the next interview. Um, but uh, yeah, well, guess what? What is my moral responsibility if they if they have a client that wants someone with a specific, you know, they want someone who's diverse, or they talk about uh, equality, but it's they're really saying, mm-hmm. you know, they want some push the gender ideology nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, you know, I could be placing, looking, searching for someone to put someone in a role that could promote that to thousands of people, and whether or not they agree with it, but still they're putting out that, that you know. Sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think th- this is the same uh, issue that throughout history, back to the beginning of the church, uh, if you think of the the issue of being uh, a soldier or a tax collector, our Lord's advice was that they be honest, that they do a good job, that they be faithful, uh, that they don't uh, treat mistreat people. You know, so the legionnaire had to be, you know, he had to do what his job he was had to be do what he was told, but not to kill. You don't kill civilians. You don't right. mistreat. You know, so there there's an effort, and this is still always in all throughout history. There is no organization that has been free of, you know, people who are bullies, coercive, want have their own agendas, which they are making their employees or their, you know, their 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 serfs or whatever category of person it is carry it out on their behalf. So it's a very human problem. You look at it from the point of view of morality in in terms of degrees of cooperation, to getting helping somebody find work. That's a very noble thing. Uh, and that means that's noble whether they're white, black, brown, gay, trans in quotes or whatever uh-huh, it is. Uh-huh. If people need work, they have families to support. That's good. I think you've hit upon an area, however, the area of policy where you will find yourself very much boxed in and out of favor. Just as if you were in politics or government today, where you're executing not policy, you're executing a policy approach, and you know you're being asked to do things. Uh, imagine somebody in government being asked to make a Catholic hospital do surgeries that morally it cannot do, and yet this is a role that government tries to do, has tried under previous administrations, yeah. is trying under this administration. Mm-hmm. So you find yourself in the middle of that cultural war. I would suggest that there probably are ways dancing on a knife edge 
to do that morally. But if you slip in that situation, it could be very painful. Ouch. Ouch. I think you'd be better off getting something where you will not have such moral qualms. That's my moral, that's my advice to you personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you manage it walking the knife edge and then, or would you quickly reach the point where you're asking me to do something I in conscience can't do and you'll end up quitting or being punished mm-hmm. in, the jo- in your job as a consequence anyway? So I think all of those factors come into it. The fact that you might be able to do it morally and well may be argued much more against the likelihood uh, that you will be unable to without having to bear the consequences of standing up for uh, for truth, for real truth and real justice, yes. as opposed to fake truth and fake justice. Which you see all the time, don't you? see you? a lot right, oh, yeah. right there in the fake news. Uh, Joshua, how about this? We will keep you in our prayers. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Uh, thank you so much for your call. It is Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. We do have two lines open at the moment, 833-288-EWTN. If you call right now, we can probably get you on today's show. Let's hope so anyway. 833-288-3986. Mark is in Augusta, Georgia, listening on St. Paul Radio. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? I just was wondering about, um, it's still true that the second largest denomination in the world is uh, fallen away Catholic. And uh, I'm living that because my <laughs> siblings, all of us went to Catholic grammar school, high mm-hmm. school, and I'm the only one that uh, still practices faith. Mm, sure, Go yeah. to Mass and try to do what you're supposed to do. What is the best or the, uh, the first thing I should do? I, I get into theological discussions mm-hmm. with one of my sisters, and she reads the Bible every day, and she's very Christian, and she loves the Lord, but she won't go, she hates the church. Yeah. She's got something against the church, and I don't know what it is, and uh, she thinks the church, uh, if, you, if you pay too much attention to the church, you're, you're not really, uh, instead of uh, loving the Lord, and so mm-hmm. she's Christ, but I tell her, the church is yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we lost our signal there. But yeah. poor Mark, he's the he's the last of the Mohicans there in his family. You know, pretty much. It's 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 a very hard circumstance. Uh, I don't know factually. I suppose that's still true. That uh, at least in North America, I think it's been said that fallen away Catholics are the second largest denominations, right before Baptists, probably. Yeah. Uh, after, I mean, after cat. Catholics. Right, right. And if you take all the Protestants together, there are more Protestants in the U.S. than there are Catholics. But, you know, in terms of individual entities, uh, I don't know that that's going to be true in many other countries. You have Catholic countries in Latin America. That may be also true in some of them. Uh, Evangelicals have made great inroads in many of those countries, in Central America especially, but also uh, in Brazil and elsewhere. I think the the dynamics of that, obviously, is it sounds like you're picking your way through them, which Mm -hmm. is always going to have to be the case. You know, uh, knowing the individual, knowing your sister, your other siblings, and trying to reach them where you can. I I think they have the uh, misnomer, obviously, that many people of my generation had, and that is that, you know, where you worship and how you worship is indifferent if you believe in God and you're a good person. Uh, and there's there's truth in that because God knows our conscience. He knows whether we have fallen away due to our own due to our own fault, or fallen away due to the lack of 
catechesis by mm-hmm. the clergy, mm-hmm. the scandal and bad example of, of members of the church. But I would say to her that if you look at a person like Mother Teresa, or if you look at a person like John Paul II, or you look at the many uh, people in the church working in very difficult ministries towards the poor and others uh, around the world, it is impossible to say that you can't be a saint in the church. Sure. So I think the argument is patently false, and that might be a way to talk. Uh, talk about the good that the church does and the good examples, because every institution that ever existed has the bad examples. Yep. So you can't use that to rule out the good ones. Stay with us. Lots more straight ahead. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Very glad that you're with us for Open Line Friday here on EWTN with Colin Donovan answering your questions at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're listening to us in Southern California today, please keep your radio station in prayer. St. John Paul II Catholic Radio airing their spring fund appeal drive this week on all three of their great radio stations in Southern California. Please support your Catholic radio station. All right, here we go to uh, Raymond in San Angelo, Texas, listening on his Alexa device. Hi, Raymond. What's on your mind today, sir? Hi, thanks for taking my phone call. I appreciate it. Sure. Colin, um, I, the context of my call is that I am, um, I don't want to call it divorced, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. The Church calls it annulment, so that's my context in history. But my question is this, why believe in a system of sacraments when actions don't follow? Not only that, but motives and intentions are redefined, right? Absolutely run against the in- intended image of what God and the Church uh, have for us, you know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Uh, can you be a little bit more specific? I mean, what, what intentions, what actions are we talking about here? Of spouses who what? aren't faithful, or of spouses what? who don't mean what they commit to, or what exactly? Right. That second comment that yeah. you made, I think, is the nail well, more on the head. Yeah, and uh, the difficulty, of course, is there's no little meter that the priest can wave over the person's head to determine the authenticity of their vows. Um, I mean, this is, you know, buyer beware. <laughs> the risk is 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 the person who gets married, you know. Uh, Tom and I are both married, so we know we made specific and decided choices. And we are, both married up, by the way. We both did. That's absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, you know. So, but there's a there's an element of if you think of fa- the three theological virtues, you could say these are the same as the three spousal virtues. Mm, yeah. Faith in the person, mm-hmm. hope and confidence in them, and their willingness to live this journey with you. Mm-hmm. And, of course, all of that has to be done with love. Um, And there's no way to check that. All the Church can do is to find the secondary evidence after the fact that that was not the case. And so uh, annulment, uh, I always, and I think most people who, canonists and others, would say this probably, that is that the term annulment doesn't properly express what is taking place. Nothing has been annulled, although that's commonly used in both in civil law. Nothing has been declared, has had anything done to it other than that it was declared that it was null from the beginning. 
So it wasn't canceled at a point in time after the beginning, but it was judged null from the beginning. And so there's the faith, hope, and love for the spouse and of both spouses that is needed there from the beginning. And, you know, sadly, this is fallen human nature. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Pope Francis recognized this. He's done a lot to try to make it easier to discover the truth of the matter mm-hmm. in a relatively uh, quick but yet secure way, precisely because if there's no possibility of the two individuals recovering that moment by an authentic affirmation of their uh-huh. vows— they need to know that that is, you know, that it never happened and that it ended and to be free to to, to go from there. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's all about the truth of the situation. And unfortunately, it's a truth that requires two people. Uh, there's a Latin expression, uh, matrimony does not limp. So if you think of that, what's the old game that you uh, fairs and that where they tie the legs of two people together and they have to hobble down the the uh, three legged race the three legged race yes. yes well you can't have a one side you can't only have one party to that You've it doesn't end well doesn't no. end well <laughs> you know so matrimony does not link the both sides have to, of the vow have to be there um, and it will it was always so and it will always will be. Uh, and sadly, people get injured along the way. Yeah, yeah. Raymond, thank you so much for your call. Let's go now to Paul in Cincinnati, listening on the great Sacred Heart Radio this afternoon. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Oh, good afternoon. Um, I have a question about praying for others. Like mm-hmm. for years, I've prayed daily, uh, particularly the rosary for the souls in purgatory. Mm-hmm. And there's, I guess, a kind of a mystery about all that. I don't know, how do I get any idea of how effective they are <laughs> if they're just going out into the big um, cosmos of, yeah. and somehow gets sent to the ones most in need? Sure, yeah. Or are they, they getting anywhere besides, you know, my lips? Well, you know, it's... It, uh, Unlike the case of marriage we just talked about, there's no way of getting feedback on this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're all in this same boat together. You know, we pray to God or we pray to the Blessed Mother or the saints or the angels or the poor souls or for them. In the case of the poor souls, the others not needing our prayers, of course. Um, and we, we never know. But God knows because the only way they have effect is in and through God. The only way that they hear us and know we're praying for them is in and through God. So it comes down to the, you know, to that first virtue of faith. Um, We know and believe that God hears our prayers, and we know that he also approves of what are praying for the, the needy, whether it's the earthly needy, family members, the spiritually, materially needy, or even ourselves and our own families. He knows that he approves of that because in the Our Father, he taught us all the things to pray for, material and spiritual. But whether we will get them ourselves personally or others are receiving the benefit, we will never know. Mm. But someday we will know. And the, and the spiritual writers assure us that in, in heaven, we will see all the good that we accomplished. And perhaps it's to prevent our heads from getting too big that we don't see it in this life. Yeah. But be assured by faith 
that good is being done, that prayers are being heard, and that souls are being uh, uh, are being assisted by your prayers. Paul, thank you so much for your call. Glad to hear from you in Cincinnati. We do have a couple of lines open now if you want to get in and uh, ask Colin Donovan a question. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Open line Friday here with uh, Colin on EWTN Radio. Interesting question here, um, actually quite kind of sobering from Mary. She says, I have two questions. Number one, is there proof outside of Scripture that Jesus is God. And here's the second question. Am I obligated to have my cancerous leg amputated if my fate would be confinement to a wheelchair for the rest of my life? Such a life would be very burdensome to me. I have no one to take care of me. I could no longer function on my own. My own house would be inaccessible to me. Really a tough email here on uh, yeah. on two counts. Yeah. And, and I think... Uh, Maybe do the second one first. Sure, and that sure. is um, sorrow and horror at that such a fate is one of the traditional subjective uh, reasons by which what would be a medically ordinary procedure might be morally extraordinary for a particular individual. Yeah. Uh, this you you amputation of a cancerous leg, the moral theology pretty much began in wartime situations in the middle the, middle ages. Because you can imagine cannibal, cannonballs whipping around a field or musket fire oh. or swords being wielded or, mm-hmm. or lances being thrust, the injuries done to a person. The question arose, was it a person obliged to have limbs or even limbs amputated to save their life? And the conclusion of the theolo- of theologians of the day was that it is not in that, and that has made its way into the church's moral theology. Now, there can be counterweights to that, uh, a husband or a person in a position where they can do a great deal of good or have responsibilities may have to think very carefully about what they can do. Remember, the, the, the absence of the use of our body, you know, has not hindered people from using their minds, mm-hmm. of working to advance the good, uh, to providing for others through intellectual or other, or even enjoying life. So all of those factors come into play whether you personally think the best thing for you is not to have the uh, to have it amputated. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a life-saving gesture, and there are prostheses that can be given. I don't know to what extent that's possible in all cases, but those are medical things that can be asked. Uh, so I think you should weigh all of those factors before concluding uh, f- finally that you you simply don't want to go through life uh, being bound to a wheelchair. Uh, but that is for you a potential morally acceptable choice according to the traditional moral theology of the church on this kind mm-hmm. of question. Okay. And the first question, which was, is there proof outside of Scripture that Jesus then, is God? Right. Uh, well, I guess it defines by proof. You have to go by proof. Um, the miracles that occurred in Scripture, the raising of the dead, mm-hmm. uh, the healing of the sick, the exercising of demons, have never stopped in the church. There are saints who raised the dead, many saints who prayed for people who were healed. They are healed by miracles. 
Uh, they're healed through the contact of relics, which are mentioned in the handkerchiefs, even the shadow yeah. of a person, yeah. of Peter, as well as of our Lord. So miracles occur, and they are occurring today. They occur because people are completely dedicated to the love and the service of the Lord. Now, this is an indirect proof of the veracity of the Gospels and the truth of the Catholic Church. But we do many, many things in our lives based on circumstantial evidence, evidence that history occurred as it is written in the books and so on, and we take that on a human faith and a trust in the witnesses and so on. And so is there proof in the sense that you know, is there is there proof that uh, Tom Price is sitting here in this chair? I can see him directly with my eyes. You can see him with the cameras if you're looking on Facebook and YouTube. There's sufficient proof. But there's also indirect evidence for those because he's on the schedule. It's over the people in radio assuming he's down here working today. <laughs> but I'm sure they're not doubting it because of who Tom is. And we don't have to doubt it because of who Jesus, the apostles, uh, that that message has been communicated down through the ages faithfully, and the witnesses to the truth of it continue in the church to the miracles uh, that occur uh, continually, whether in a Lourdes or whether through prayer to the saints or to Jesus himself. God bless you, Mary. Thank you so much uh, for your email. It is Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Going to try to get to all these phone calls. Uh, don't forget this weekend, it's the Catholic Sphere coming up on Sunday afternoon, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, right here and only here on EWTN Radio. This week, what exactly is the new evangelization and is it really new? Doug Keck and his panel of experts discuss this critical topic for the Universal Church. Do check it out, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on EWTN Radio. Are you part of that? Yeah, but there were a couple guys who actually knew what they were talking about oh, okay. on there as well. So <laughs> it's, it's worth watching regardless. <laughs> Give yourself a break, Colin. Come on now. I know we're going to get the, uh, the, the straight skinny on that. Let's go back to the phones and talk with Pam in Superior, Wisconsin, listening on Real Presence Radio. Hey, Pam, what's on your mind today? Um, I have a question on Cat Jeff. Um, how does the church view cremation as well as donation of a body to science or organ donation? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, organ donation is fine. You can only donate uh, bilateral organs, obviously, if you're alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could, you know, giving a kidney or lobe of lung or liver or whatever, how, whatever is possible in that respect. Um, I, I don't think it's come up yet, but you certainly wouldn't be able to donate your brain. That would be a substantial <laughs> change in your life. You'd be, yeah. end it. Uh, or e- or your organs of generation, your sexual organs, because that's you. That's communicating you your through your uh, uh, genetics and so on. But there are many things that you could give there. Uh, the question of donations of heart is a little bit tricky because there's a lot of controversy around it. The Pope John Paul II in the 90s approved of the idea of brain death which was a, a unrecoverable, complete, complete loss of brain function, uh, to be secured, the reality of which to be secured by adequate testing 
and by, as I recall, the standards that were uh, offered as an example uh, to the Holy See, a uh, couple apnea tests to prove that the heart and lung were not functioning, which, of course, uh, they can if the brainstem is, is still there. Uh-huh. So there, was, there were safeguards. The question today is not whether that would be licit if properly adhered to, but the question today is whether it is being adhered to at all. And I've heard many things uh, in the last decade or so that um, the team, the, at the teams and hospitals have departed from those standards. They have their own. Uh, there's also the fiduciary interest sometimes in relationship to transportation because there's costs involved and therefore there is reimbursement of costs. And, mm-hmm. and so the teams get uh, benefit from that. So I think the question of the heart is an open question on the practical level, although theoretically uh, taking a heart after death in the circumstances which the Holy See approved would be nece- uh, not necessarily what is being done. And that's the that's the problem there. Uh, but it's a charity to do that. Uh, obviously, a sibling giving a kidney to, an, to another sibling who needs one is, is such a charity. Likewise, the do- donation of the body after death to advance, uh, to advance science uh, is uh, also uh, acceptable. Uh, but uh, I, would, I would discuss that in the circumstances of, your, of the use of your body with somebody such as, you know, uh, priest confessor, uh-huh. uh, and as well as know quite clearly what the end purpose of that donation would be. Sure. Because all of the bioethical moral issues can come up if, for example, you donate the body and they can use something in an immoral way. So I uh. think uh, great care is mm-hmm. needed in that, but it's it's possible. Okay, Pam, appreciate your call. Thank you so much for it. Open line Friday with Colin Donovan. Here is Richard in Toronto listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hello, Richard. What's on your mind today? Hi, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to find out, you know, we know that there, um, the nuns, there's, there's more Catholics leaving the church than there are entering. And mm-hmm. I wanted to get your thoughts around how important is the homily now in the church and the new evangelization is it more important now or is it the same well i i think in the face of those pressures which are cultural pressures in particular uh you look at the politically correct landscape out there and the ways in which catholics are invited Mm. in in indeed encouraged to go dive wholeheartedly into the uh the cesspool of ideologies uh, and you know those risks are there. So I think in the, the homily, which is intended to be a reflection on Scripture, needs to be revisited as also a way of, while reflecting on Scripture, to point to the very values which counteract the values of the world. So it, I think it's very important. Keeping people in the church, I think the best way to do that is help them fall in love with the Lord to fall in love with the Eucharist, to fall in love with Our Lady. You do that. You, no force on in heaven or elsewhere or on earth or elsewhere is going to pry them out of the grip of God. So that has to be encouraged, and that can be done through the homily. And I think also to, to teach the, the great values which oppose the world uh, as they come up in the scripture readings, and even sometimes in an extraordinary matter, you know, to to unite some catechetical message 
uh, to the homily would also be acceptable. I think that's very much needed today, too, because for most Catholics, those who are practicing their faith, that's where they're going to get their ed- their education. Now, we obviously, we hope they'll listen to uh, EWTN radio and watch EWTN television uh-huh. and read good Catholic literature and books. Uh, they, we want them to do all of that. But generally, they're already hooked by the time they're doing that, mm, for the yeah. most part. Uh, but a lot of it's going to be encouraging them to love Jesus, to love Our Lady, to love the Eucharist. And then from the rest, you can from that you can build. And that's going to happen uh, through, I, I think, through our clergy and, and, and the homily in particular is a good occasion to accomplish that. Appreciate your call, Richard. Here is Jan in Fort Wayne, Indiana, listening on Redeemer Radio. Hello, Jan. What's on your mind today? Yes, I have a question. Um, you know, Christ died for our sins, for forgiveness of sins. Uh, Pope Francis preaches, preaches mercy and forgiveness. Um, if a guy goes out and murders someone, goes to reconciliation, he's forgiven, he can receive the sacraments, no questions asked. If a man goes and maybe on no fault of his own, uh, gets a divorce and remarries, he is cut off from the sacraments. What, what, what is the difference here, and why is sure. there not mercy and forgiveness? Well, mercy requires that the person be repentant. The murderer can be repentant. The, the logic is when somebody remarries, and now granted there are all kinds of circumstances of, of ignorance of this, that, and the other mm-hmm. thing, but the logic is that that is a choice to enter into a relationship which Christ himself refers to as adultery. So... For the church to affirm an adulterous relationship or a relationship of fornication in any context is to deny what Christ clearly says in the gospel and the rest of the New New and Old Testament as well. But the sacrament of penance is there precisely for the person who repents. And the church acknowledges that the person who is in a marriage which is not of God, that's not valid, can repent of that and forego the sexual de- development, which is the adulterous part, while continuing to fulfill responsibilities to any children and even to the spouse, the person themselves, who may be totally... So there's a lot of other conditions there. But it's the will to continue sinning, which is the offensive thing there. And dropping the will to continue sinning, the Church offers instruments of mercy, as the Pope did through quicker processes yep. uh, and, and so on, as a priest can do, encouraging the person to get that all made regular. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the first marriage was invalid. If, invalid. if they never pursue that, then they'll never know. So that can be corrected as well. But you still have to avoid the violation of the Sixth Commandment. The person who's repenting from the violation of the Fifth Commandment, he's done exactly what the Lord would want him to do. Okay. And if the civil authorities then make him pay the civil penalty, and the, then, mm-hmm. that, then that, fair, that is fair as well, because society has to, uh, to yep. see that crime doesn't pay. Yes, indeed. 
Appreciate your call there, Jan. And let's go to Pat now in North Carolina, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Pat, what's on your mind today? Hi. Uh, good afternoon, Colin. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I am a practicing Catholic, and by that I mean I follow the precepts of the Church. Um, I have a nephew who is 47, and his mother was also Catholic. He also received all the sacraments. Uh, but chose to live a lifestyle with another male person. Mm-hmm. While his mother was living, she made um, accommodations for them to live in her home. But my brother, who is the father of this young man, uh, never approved of that. And um, But the father passed before the mother, and now they were married last week in St. Thomas, uh, this couple, this two male people, um, one of whom was my grand, uh, my son, uh, nephew. Pat, we've only um, got about a mi- his- we only have about a minute left. What's your question, please? Okay, my question is, what do I do? Do I send them a card? Uh, their sisters, his sisters, have went and celebrated for the whole week in St. Thomas Island. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, let's let's say let's say he had married a woman that he had lived with for ten years. Would you congratulate them on on uh, finally doing the right thing? Well, I don't think you want to congratulate them on doing the wrong thing. So this is even if it were a woman, I guess maybe you could say, at least say, well, uh, thank thank God you finally tied the knot like you should have done ten years ago. In the this particular case, I'm not sure that silence isn't the best. Uh, uh, the best approach. Okay. Pat, that's where we have to leave it. And uh, we had a, a couple of other calls that we could not get to today. Uh, and so they're kind of stuck there because here comes the music in about five seconds here. But uh, if you could call us back next week, we'd be glad to put you on the air. In fact, we'll put you at the head of the line. How about that? Colin Donovan, thank you, my friend. You're welcome. Always have a, a good time doing the open line program, don't we? We sure do. Is yeah. it's a fast hour and we love it. Fastest For hour. A couple of fast guys. At, oh, well, <laughs> if you say so, I don't know. <laughs> don't forget, we do uh, open line Monday through Friday at this same time, 3 p.m. Eastern, with an encore at 10 p.m. Eastern. Our producer, Michael McCall, will have the uh, podcast up in the next uh, hour or so. So you can check that out by going to EWTNradio.net, EWTNradio.net. On behalf of all of us here, I'm Tom Price along with uh, Colin Donovan. Have a wonderful weekend. We will see you on Monday. God bless.